Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? We got a great case for you this week. This is a heartbreaking and frustrating case, I guess would be the best way to describe oh, it. That, yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Great way to it's, describe it. A lot of ups and downs in this case. It, it exposes flaws in the justice system that can actually get innocent people killed. Yes. It's, it's the worst case scenario. You it, know, it, also you know. ex- it also exposes a justice system that chooses to concentrate on things that I think the majority of us would deem less important because less it's involved dangerous to with society. Money. Marijuana. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Someone being locked up for selling a little bit of weed or a DUI versus someone who uh, committed a violent rape um, and getting bond and walking on the streets, you know, to potentially start killing witnesses and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's frustrating. I call those flaws. Um, and there's there's an innocent <laughs> baby that's you know there's a trigger warning for you if you don't you don't like crimes that are committed against children. That granted, we can't say for certain because the, you know the infant's uh, body's never been found in this case. Yeah. But you know it's assumed that you know a baby was killed in this, and all because this this violent offender was let out on bond awaiting trial and was free to walk the streets. But let's get into it. You only knew. For our case this week, we are going to Michigan. Oh, Michigan. Um, Michigan in the late 90s, uh, specifically Cedar Springs, which is a small rural city outside of Grand Rapids. And we are going to meet uh, a young woman, 18-year-old Rachel Timmerman, who in August of 1996 was getting her life on track. She'd, she'd had her fair share of, um, you know, she'd gotten into a little bit of trouble here and there, but mm-hmm. she was a good person. She had just had uh, her first baby six weeks prior to this on August 6, 1996, when she goes out for the first time, you know, she's had her baby, right? Um, it's been six weeks and you know, she needs a night out. So she's going to leave her baby, 
uh, a little girl named Shannon with her mother and her younger sister. Um, and she's going out for the first time because she got invited to a, a card game and a gathering, you know, like a, a little hangout right? Um, with a family friend of hers, a guy named Wayne Davis, called her up and invited her to play cards with him at a friend of his, uh, his trailer. So, this, you know, this Wayne Davis guy, he's got a friend that he plays cards at his trailer all the time. Wayne Davis uh, was 54 years old. He was a disabled veteran of the Vietnam War. Um, and he'd seen combat, he'd seen some stuff. He had a metal plate in his head and some severe PTSD from what he had witnessed over in Vietnam. It's kind of, do you think it's kind of weird that an 18 year old wanted to go hang out with a 54 year old, like Vietnam vet? Not necessarily. Uh, like we said, he's a family friend. That's true. He seemed like, he seemed like a solid dude. Um, and he probably told her, you know, I'll have other guys here, whatever, other people here that you could hang out with as well. And I'm sure she was looking for a distraction. You know, I mean, yeah. six weeks after having a baby, she's probably not feeling her best. Right. You know, probably want to get out, meet some new people, do some, make, feel like life yeah, is I back to the, normal. I get the vibe. There wasn't a, like a much of an, like a, a nightlife scene in this town, you know, like it, the way that people would, would party and hang out is like get together like this at either a bonfire or, you know, a trailer and play cards oh, or whatever. Yeah. It's not like there's nightclubs and things like that. It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of options as far as that goes. Right, right. Even Grand Rapids isn't really like a huge city. So if this is a suburb of Grand Rapids, it's got to be mm-hmm. it's got to be a pretty, you know, small country town if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so she takes Wayne Davis up on his offer uh to to go hang out, play some cards. And yeah, like you said, Wayne Davis was inviting, you know, several people over and maybe she'd have a chance to meet somebody new there. Right. Uh or whatever. She was no longer with her um the you know, her baby daddy. They were separated. Mm-hmm. They were on, I think they were, they believe they were on decent terms. You know, they were like splitting custody of the baby. Right. Um, but nonetheless, she was single at the time. Um, it's a little bit more about Wayne Davis, the man that invited her over. Um, he was never seen without his camo army jacket on and even <laughs> joked about how it was the only thing broke, holding his broken body together. He was living on disability, obviously having um, had a rough time in the war. He was retired and, right. you know, he was just spending his time with friends, hanging out, drinking and that sort of thing, but generally a harmless guy. Right. Uh, Wayne would host weekly parties at his friend's trailer where guests would drink, smoke weed and play cards. And on August 6th, Rachel accompanied that party. Um, she left her baby with her mother and her younger sister so she could take up Wayne Davis's offer and attend the party. The trailer where the party was being held was only one mile from where she lived um, at her mother's trailer. And she didn't have a car at the time, so she walked to the trailer. And at some point during the card game, 43-year-old Marvin Gabrion and his teen nephew Mikey arrived carrying two 12-packs of beer. Uh, this this uh, Marvin and Mikey were two people that Rachel was unfamiliar with, never met them before. Right. Um, and this, this Marvin Gabrion is the focus of our case this week. He's one of the more, we would come to find out, one of the more evil people that we've ever learned about. This guy is infuriate, infuriatingly evil, I would say. Yes, yes, which was crazy because, like, as a child, which we're about to get into, he, he wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't perceived that way. Right, it took a hell of a turn so, in adulthood. Yeah, so it's a good segue to go into his childhood. Marvin Charles Gabrion was born on October eighteenth, nineteen fifty three. Interestingly, one day after my birthday, he Ooh. shares a birthday, however, with Lee Harvey Oswald, oh, uh, the guy that supposedly killed JFK. Supposedly, right. maybe someday we'll do that case. Uh, <laughs> Zach Efron and Jean Claude Van Damme. Okay. JCVD. Right? Jean-Claude, man. I ain't heard about, heard of him in forever. Freaking blood sport, Hell. kickboxer. Yeah. Classic movies, yep. dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a fun group there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Marvin was the fifth of six children in his family. He had three older sisters, an older brother named Mike, and a younger brother named David. His sister described him as a real good little boy who was happy all the time and seemed to get along with everybody. Hmm. Another sister remembered him as shy and quiet as a child. Uh, the Gabrion family lived in Grand Rapids during Marvin's early years before moving to a cabin in Walla, uh, Walhalla, Michigan. Uh, the relationship between his father and his mother was not a stable one. So this is a little bit of, there was some violence and turbulence in the household that he grew up in, which may have led to some of his, you know, an explanation for his behavior later on. Right. Both right. of them were uh, involved in extramarital affairs and often fought with it, well, fought with each other. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But when Marvin was 12, the family settled in White Cloud, Michigan. And as a boy, Marvin worked odd jobs, cleaning boats, mowing lawns, and performing yard work. 
and was the only one of his brothers to do this. So seemingly the most driven and motivated yeah. uh, uh, of the Gabrion boys. Absolutely. He was also known as a good student. Didn't get the best grades, but was you know was well liked by his teachers and things like that. Not a he problem also played, student, right? No, 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 not a problem at all in school. Um, also played in multiple sports in school: basketball, football, and track and field. Um, one of his teachers later testified that he had no disciplinary issues in high school, though he relatively had a relatively high number of absences in his senior year. So it seemed like he yeah. started to not care so much about school uh, in his senior year. But, I mean, isn't that all of us, though? I mean, it's your senior year. Yeah. If you're going to have a, a relatively high number of absences, it's probably going to be in your senior year, especially since you can drive to school. <laughs> yeah, if, if you've, especially if you've already got your credits locked up. like Yeah. You like, can graduate regardless of what happens. Exactly. A high school girlfriend of his described him as a, quote, nice guy, fun-loving, and sweet. Um, as we mentioned, he didn't cause problems in school. At one point, he even walked away from a fight. Hmm. I'd like to hear more details on that, though. Yeah, like, I know, right? It doesn't necessarily prove you're, like, not a troublemaker. Maybe, like... Maybe you knew you were going to get your ass whooped. The scariest dude in school squared off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe the scariest dude in school squared off, and it's like, man, he's really got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, maturity. <laughs> right. He walked away, walked from, away that from that fight. Well, like, yeah, he, he didn't he want to die. He was face bashed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one of his brothers, his brother Mike, described him as nerdish. And we talked about some turbulence going on in his household between his mother and father. His father was often drunk when he came home from work and regularly made fun of Marvin and mistreated him. Damn. I hate to do this, but it reminds you a bit of Gacy. Remember Gacy's father was a drunk that constantly ridiculed him and called him yep. like homophobic names and things like that. Yep. Get a bit of those vibes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. And then his brother is calling him a nerd and shit. So, and he has like yeah. multiple brothers, right? Doesn't he have two or three brothers? I know we mm -hmm. said that earlier, but yeah. Two brothers, yeah. So... Yeah, I'm sure he got picked on quite a bit. His brother described him as a yeah. nerd. It's like that just sounds like an older Which sibling. Explains to me. like the <laughs> ex explains a little bit of you know the style of criminal that he was later on. Of you know, got off on the power of you mm -hmm. know beating and subduing a woman and things like that. Like maybe it's because he had he had no power of his own growing up, constantly ridiculed by his father and his his older brothers. Yeah, absolutely. His father also had a bad temper. Once he repeatedly slammed Marvin's head into uh, into a two-by-four because he had been trying to burn some garbage near the house. Jesus. So physical abuse as well. Um, when Marvin was a young child, he became very ill, and his father refused to have him seen by a doctor. And it wasn't until Marvin came down with a high fever and started to act strange that his family finally took him to the hospital, where doctors diagnosed him with pneumonia and operated on him to remove a leather-like material from his lungs. Wow. Another common thread with some of these violent serial killers is severe illness when they're young. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that they barely survive. It's like, it's almost like something does, it, it does something to their psyche. Yes, it does. Also the head trauma. I mean, if we know this instance of yeah. his dad banging his head into a two by a two four, by it's four? like, yeah. then there were others. There were others. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Then you couple this with, uh, you know, his parents weren't around. When they were around, they were fighting with each other. They were violent and, and you know, verbally and physically abusive uh, to young Marvin. And then the fact that you couple that with the fact that they, were, they weren't there other times. So, like, they were constantly absent from the home, leaving his sisters to take care of him and his brothers. Mm. Um, so they're not there, but then when they are there, they're being abusive to him. Right. Uh, Marvin's mother also left home for long periods of a time. Uh, on one occasion, she took David and stayed with another man for several months. Damn. I guess um, David is his brother. Yeah. Okay. On another occasion, she had a nervous breakdown and her children were taken out of the house for a time. Mm. So very turbulent home. Yeah. Um, once when his sisters were left alone to take care of him, he fell ill and developed such a high fever yet again that he became delirious and walked out into the snow where his siblings found him lying in a snowbank. Snow bank. Damn. So he got another and fever. This is a separate. Likely instance. that had they not gone looking for him and found him, that he would have froze to death out there. You'd think... Right? That's crazy. Usually, I don't think he was going to leave on his own accord. I feel like usually when you have a fever, you're like, you're cold, right? I mean, you got like a yeah, shake but he was, cold. It was so it was so bad that he was delusional and, you know, wandering around like a zombie, I suppose. Jeez. Lying in a snowbank. He could have died of hypothermia quick. Yeah. Would have saved lives later on, sadly, to talk, you know. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Maybe it would have been for the best. Yeah, maybe. 
Um, Marvin's sister, Christine, recalled her parents arguing about and, and physically fighting with one another, including scratching and hitting each other. They even knocked each other's front teeth out. Jeez. So, yeah. Both of them knocked each other's front teeth out? <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> like, what the fuck? It's like, maybe they yeah, got... Yeah, an eye for an eye, I guess, huh? Tooth for a tooth. I guess, Yeah. Maybe maybe his father knocked his mother's teeth out and then she like waited and bought her time and, and like just really connected with a frying pan or something on him to get, get yeah, back. Yeah, just retaliated while he was taking a nap on the couch. Yeah. Pop! Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn. Um, his other sister, Yvonne, uh, remembered a time when her mother threw a butcher knife at her father. Okay. So. It's not good behavior. As an adult, Marvin would become a career criminal with charges of assault, robbery, and multiple DUIs on his record. And we don't have a ton of details about his early crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is all to just set up this night in which Rachel has gone to this trailer to play cards. Right. This man, Marvin Gabrion, comes in. She's never met him before and does not know what we just told you. You know, the background of this guy. He's we would come to find out is a very dangerous person. Right. Not sure how he became acquaintances, um, you know, with Wayne Davis, the man hosting the party. Um, but it's, it's just a sad thing that he was brought into the fold here because it sets off a whole chain of events. Well, like a lot of these, um, and a lot of people died because of this night. Right. Absolutely. They did. But like a lot of these sociopathic criminals, especially repeat criminals, man, they have a, they have a certain charm about them. You know, they have a way of luring people in obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe, you know, Wayne probably didn't have a lot of friends, you know, especially living out there in the yep. middle of nowhere. You know, he's an old Vietnam vet. So mm-hmm. he probably took friends where he could get them. And then this guy, they just hit it off. This guy liked to, this guy didn't have much, much better going on. Marvin, yeah. you know, he's, I don't think he's employed. He's looking to go get fucked up and start trouble, right. which is what he succeeds in doing on this night, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, so now we have a better idea of who Marvin Gabrion. Unfortunately, Rachel Timmerman did not know, you know, anything about this guy. And we go back to the night of August 6, 1996. The party, the night carried on and the drinking intensified. And unsurprisingly, egos emerged and a heated argument occurred between Wayne Davis and Marvin Gabrion. Um, Wayne had made an offhand comment about how Marvin was shit-faced, which set Marvin off. Marvin getting into Wayne's face, calling him a motherfucker and grabbing Wayne by the throat. Mm. Um Things would settle down, but the party wasn't quite as fun after that outburst, and soon Rachel decided it was time to go home. Um, At which point, Wayne, the host of the party, the man that invited her, uh, offered to walk her home since it was the middle of the night and she only lived a mile away. She took him up on the offer, and as they were walking home, Marvin and his nephew Mikey pulled up alongside them in Marvin's new convertible and offered them a ride. Sadly, they accepted and got into the car. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really sad because it was a mile walk, you know. It's like he really didn't need this ride, right? But it was cold, though. Uh, I'm sure right? it was cold, and I'm and on it. When I think about it, I'm like, I'm not so sure they had an option. Like, I'm pretty sure even if they said no, that oh yeah, there's nothing stopping Marvin, who's younger, more more fit than this 54 year old Vietnam vet who's disabled, and this young woman. He would have, and who knows if he had a, a gun on him at the time, mm-hmm. he would have forced her into the car i believe because he was set in what he was going to do oh yeah he would have. so they get in marvin actually did drive to the front of rachel's home and you wonder if this is maybe to kind of get a to learn where she lives because he only pulls in front of her home briefly before he decided that the night wasn't over quite yet rachel decided uh, tried to protest but it was too late he drove off and would take them out to a desolate area and after stopping in a field marvin ordered wayne and mikey out of the car and drove off with rachel telling them get the fuck out and when Mikey resisted saying, you know, I don't know, even know where I am or how to get back, he threatened Mikey that he would beat his ass if he didn't get out. Damn. And Mikey is his cousin, Our, right? Or wait, there were... Mikey's his Mikey's nephew. Mikey's his nephew. Mikey's there his nephew. Go. Okay. I'm like, I yeah. know they showed up at yeah. the party together, Marvin and Mikey. Yeah. Mikey's his brother's son. Okay. Um, and so he, Marvin would take uh, Rachel deeper into the woods so far in that they couldn't you know, he, you know, he basically got her far enough back there that no one could hear her screams. Mm. He then stopped and forced herself himself onto her, violently beat and, and raped Rachel, who fought back as much as she could. He even bit her on the nose hard enough that he tore cartilage, causing her nasal cavity to fill with blood. Jeez. And after 
after raping her twice, he decided to take her for a walk looking for a body of water where he could have her wash the evidence off of her. Along the walk, he warned her that if she told anyone about what he had done, that she would kill her baby in front of her. So he was aware that she had, you know, a six week old baby and was using that against her. Um, not knowing where he was apparently as well as he thought he did being in the middle of the night in the woods, he was unable to find the body of water. Um, and decided to rape her again in the dirt this time. Rachel, at that point, tried a new tactic. We've talked about this in our, like, you know, fight, escape, survive episode. Yep. Sometimes you need to use the tactic of trying to, sadly, it's 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 unfortunate because it's just so gross to think about, but you have to, like, try and get them to like you and believe that you're into what they're doing sometimes if you have no other option, mm-hmm. whatever tactic you have to use. And she tells Marvin that rather than the dirt, they should go back to her home where they could continue in her bed. Right. And amazingly, this dumb fuck actually believed her and drove her back to her mother's trailer. And as they pulled into the driveway, Rachel jumped out and ran inside the trailer, locking the door and already inside. This shows you that, you know, uh, Wayne, Wayne Davis was actually a friend of the family. He was already in, Rachel's mom's trailer, uh, him and Mikey had made their way back out of the woods and had made their way to Rachel's mom's trailer where they were sitting at the kitchen table. Yeah. She yelled at them when she entered the trailer and to not let Marvin in and locked herself in the bathroom where she armed herself with a hammer. Wayne came in to the trailer, approached the bathroom door, attempting to open it. Um, and finally Wayne began yelling at Marvin, telling him to get out at which point Marvin warned Rachel about calling the cops and left. Jesus. So, Quite a night yeah. that Rachel just endured. Used, you know, in my opinion, a, a very smart and uh, tactic to get out of that. Who knows what it would, what he would have done that third time? He may have killed her at that point. Absolutely, that was fast thinking. Mm-hmm. The next morning, her mother, you know, she, she of course told her mother what had happened, and her mother encouraged her to report the rape to the police. Um, Rachel would be examined by the hospital where they collected semen DNA from inside of her and Marvin, uh, would be reported to the, you know, the police by the hospital about what had happened. Um, and they were not all that surprised. They had, they, they knew Marvin. This is a small town. He was a career criminal. They'd had many run, run run-ins with him. Um, meanwhile, Marvin was nowhere to be found. Um, so he, he was on the lam probably knowing that she had gone to the police or assuming that she would. Um, then a week later, the police receive a faxed letter from Marvin that he had faxed from the from a grocery store that included a letter which stated his side of the story, which is fucking disgusting and graphic. So trigger warning here. He claimed that on the night of the party, Rachel had desperately wanted to have sex with him and he refused because he didn't have a condom and that he didn't want to get her pregnant. So instead, he allowed her to give him fellatio. Uh. Um, he said that when he finished that she used her fingers to insert his semen inside of her vagina to get back at him for turning her down. Yeah, that sounds legit. <laughs> right. Totally believable story, bro. Wow. But it just makes him that much more despicable, doesn't it? Like he's now blaming her for his violent rape of her. Right. Cause she wanted him so bad. Come on, bro. Give mm-hmm. me a fucking break. Right. You're like 43 right. years old. Like, I don't know. So even with the DNA evidence, uh, even with all the, the, they had multiple witnesses, they had Rachel's story, which is, you know, incredibly graphic and true. Mm -hmm. It would still take six months for Marvin to be arrested and officially charged with the rape. Mm. So now you have Rachel who's been threatened. Her baby's life's been threatened by this man. And they're, for whatever reason, they need to investigate him more, whatever they need to do to make an arrest. I don't know how you need more than this. Right. But in the months following the rape, Rachel would attempt to turn her life around. Marvin had still not been charged, so she spent all of her time focusing on her new, uh, her now 18-month-old daughter, her family, and her work at a local restaurant. Still, though, believe it or not, during that time, she actually had been arrested first. She had a prior arrest. You know, about four months before the rape, she had been caught selling weed, and she had uh, had a zero-tolerance probation order put on her. Um, so while she's minding her business following this, you know, this traumatic thing that happened to her someone reported to the police that rachel had been drinking and hosting parties at her mom's trailer a parole officer did an unannounced visit to the trailer and found a liquor bottle on top of the trash and sentenced her to five months in jail for probation violation yeah, this is so important i'm so glad you guys did this and acted right. so fast right this this violent rapist yeah 
is out walking the streets, but you know, she sold a little weed and she's drinking at her own fucking mom's trailer. Right. Oh man, God forbid this. So lock her up. It's not like you caught her in a it's way. Not like you caught her like under the influence driving a car or being I know, right? You know Or out at someone else's place right. partying. Like she's at her own home. That's insane, dude. It's crazy it's that nuts. they would prioritize Imagine imagine being her at this point. Like, are you kidding me? You're coming here to arrest me? Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. The one thing I'll say is that jail may have been the safest place for her at the moment. That's true. Because Marvin is out there and, and clearly can benefit from getting rid of her because she's the main witness in that rape charge. Yeah. Um, and Rachel actually used the time well while while behind bars for that during that five month period. She got she ended up getting her GND, GED. Okay. Um, and uh, she had began her sentence in January of 1997. Meanwhile, Wayne Davis, the family friend who had invited Rachel over on the night that she was raped, disappeared. Shocker. Mm. He disappears in February of 1997, the day before he was due to serve a 90-day sentence for DUI. So Marvin knows he's going to jail where he may spill the beans to get out early. Yep. Um, and, and the timing is interesting because you know he disappears the day before he's set to go to jail. And Wayne, as we know, was set to testify against Marvin for the upcoming rape trial. And a friend of Wayne's saw him on the day he disappeared with Marvin. You know, Marvin was there supposedly helping him work on a car. So, you know what I just realized the, you know, this was actually a pretty smart move on Marvin's part too, like to preserve himself. Because if you make this man disappear right before he's supposed to go to prison, it's like he could have ran off. Like that would be my first instinct, right? Like as an officer or whatever, I'd be like, okay, Wayne, he just... He fled, yeah. the, he fled the state because he doesn't want to go to jail. I get it. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, as far as... I don't really think they're looking for a body. I don't really think that they think that Wayne... Yeah, and you know, Wayne Davis was, you know, he was an older guy with a disability and like... Right. Just the police are like, you know, if he disappears, it's like kind of like whatever. They're not going to look that hard for him. Exactly. It's for a DUI too. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like a violent crime we're looking for. Like this guy's not dangerous. He's right. just... You know, I mean, I would think that he just, like I say, he would just fled the state. So that would, in that mm-hmm. in that sense, it would seriously slow down the investigation. Yep. Uh, so Wayne's residence was largely undisturbed when the disappearance was discovered. Aside from a stolen radio system, um, his army jacket was still draped over the chair in his residence. That jacket, we know, he never took off. Yeah, that's so not a good sign. The idea that he ran away without his, you know, famous camo jacket is is unlikely. Yeah. Um, police later discovered that Marvin had attempted to pawn the radio that was missing from his trailer a few weeks after his disappearance. Mm. But it would be several more several more months before Marvin was finally arrested and charged with that rape. Um, not charged with the disappearance of Wayne Davis because they didn't have, you know, anything other than one witness saying that he was with him on the day he disappeared. But they didn't have a body and have anything like that. For all they know, he could have just ran off. Mm-hmm. So Marvin's arrested finally, and charged with the rape of Rachel uh, Timmerman. And his arrest warrant included three witnesses that were subpoenaed to testify in court, Rachel, Wayne Davis, who is now missing, so good luck with that right. one, and his nephew, Mikey. Uh, so yeah. and like, the trial you know date he's would threatened be... the shit out of Mikey. Oh, my God. I yeah. can't imagine he would say anything against his uncle at this point, especially knowing what he's capable of. Yeah, he's seen it firsthand, no yep. doubt. So the trial, <clears throat> the trial date would be set for June fifth, nineteen ninety seven, and his bond was set at seventy five thousand dollars, which unfortunately his mother came up with two weeks later, God, setting damn, him free how? to the world until his trial. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know. You know, where his mom got this money. Um, but she came up with it nonetheless. Maybe she took out a loan or something. Yeah. But he's now got plenty of time to, you know cut some loose ends here and make it impossible to get that rape charge to stick if none of the witnesses show up to court. That's right. And so Rachel would be released from jail on May 5th and began staying at her father's house rather than her mother's trailer. Her father apparently had a nice home um, and it seemed a little safer there for her and her baby. Right. And as the date of Marvin's preliminary hearing came closer, Rachel, of course, worried about having to testify against him. She told her parents that Marvin had threatened her on several occasions, had actually come and was stalking her and had found her in public on several occasions and walked up to her and threatened her. He told her that he knew where her family lived and worked and that she better not show up to the hearing uh, the following month or he would hurt them. Hmm. 
She also said that she was having reoccurring nightmares about Marvin and believed that he would kill her. There were these threats that he had made to her in public. She called the police and reported these threats and nothing was done. God. God, we see so, this way too often, don't we? Until it's too late. They're they're really just leaving her out there like a lamb for slaughter, in my opinion. You know, like they know the kind of violent offender this guy is. Yeah. She's she's reporting that he's been threatening her life, her family's life, and I just don't know how that's not enough to bring him back in. Like it just or at least to put him under surveillance until the trial. You know what I mean? Like have a fucking police officer follow this guy around. You think uh and if he's like sitting outside of her home, that's that's grounds for arrest, in my opinion. Absolutely, there needs to be at least a restraining order, right? But like that should have just been part of the deal. Period. But maybe you don't go anywhere near Rachel. Maybe Rachel's past had something to do with it in the eyes of the police. You know, they're like, Possible, well, she's right? a criminal too. You know, you kind of run with the dog, get the fleas type deal. You know, maybe mm-hmm. yeah. they didn't take it quite as serious. Yeah, I don't know. I hate to think that, but could be a possibility. Yeah. So this, you know, she's, she's worried about this, but according to her parents leading up to, you know, the trial on June 3rd, 1997, Rachel seemed happy. She told her father that she was going to go out on a date with a man and the man had told her to bring Shannon along. So she, this guy, why this young guy keeps calling, this young guy keeps calling her mom's trailer or I mean her dad's home and builds a relationship with Rachel, um, talking to her on the phone and and convinces her to go out on a dinner date with him and he says i i don't mind that you have a baby you can bring the baby along uh-huh it sounds fishy to us right uh, very especially knowing that someone would love to get rid of her and her baby yep unfortunately um she went along with this she told her father that she would be home within a few hours as it was only a dinner date the young man that picked up rachel and baby shannon was a man named john weeks who sadly we would later find out was a friend of marvin gabrion at the time and was clearly either paid or pushed by Gabrion. You know, maybe he owed Gabrion something. There's speculation that he owed Gabrion for some money for a drug deal or whatever it was. Right. And and he was like, you do this, um, we'll call it even type deal. Yeah. 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 And of course, the time that Rachel was supposed to return to her dad's home came and went. The next day, Rachel's father receives a letter, allegedly from Rachel, but we've seen this time and time again where killers send letters that are apparently oh yeah supposed to be from the victim it says and it is in her handwriting um it says quote dad i'm sorry i left without saying goodbye that guy that picked me up is like the man of my dreams shannon bonded with him so well and so did i right now we're on vacation and we we might get eloped he already asked me to marry him i'll be gone for a couple of weeks i would call you on the phone but i think you'd try to talk me out of the marriage i'll write more letters and send you an address when i get one love rachel this is just so suspicious. The fact that she doesn't even use the guy's name, she says, that guy that picked me up is like the man of my dreams. Yeah, right. He's like the man of my right. dreams. It's like, won't you use his name? Like, if you really if exactly. you really feel that affectionate about him, you'd be like, John is the person I've been looking for. You know, it's like, maybe that would convince me a little bit more, but just the way mm-hmm. that this is written is so half-assed. It's just, it is weird, because you know, she had to have told her dad the guy's name, at least, when, when she was going on on this date with his granddaughter. Right. Like, and he knows his daughter. Just say, oh, some, it's just some guy that called me. I don't even know his name. Like, there's no way, she, you know, her, her, I guarantee you her dad remembers the name that she told him initially. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I am guarantee you that dude was, the, the, the father was watching this guy. I mean, if somebody yeah. comes to date your daughter, the father, you're fucking, you're watching everything about, what's his name? What's his last name? Where's he from? What does his parents do? What is, right. yeah, I want to know everything about this motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, and and a lot of this information that we we get from this case is actually from a book that her father wrote after the fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book is called "The Color of Night: A Young Mother, a Missing Child, and a Cold-Blooded Killer." That's written actually by Tim uh, by Tim Timmerman. Yeah, Rachel's father. And see, and if her father was intelligent and insightful enough to write a book, this man he, he didn't buy yeah. this. Not one. He knew bit. what was going yeah. on at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm sure her father was skeptical of that letter that he'd received supposedly from his daughter, but I, you know, I'm sure he was also holding out hope that somehow that letter was legit, but unfortunately weeks would go by with no, no word from Rachel or baby Shannon. And then on June 5th, they became very concerned when Marvin had his preliminary hearing, but Rachel did not show up. Mm -hmm. Um, without her testimony, of course, authorities were forced to drop the rape charges against him and he had gotten exactly what he wanted. 
Yep. Um, then 11 days later, the prosecutor for the case received a letter allegedly from Rachel that was postmarked from Little Rock, Arkansas. This letter said that Rachel had tried to have intercourse with Marvin, so he's sticking to this fucking story that you know she had wanted to be with him. He refused. She made up the rape allegation. Um, the prosecutor, of course, did not believe that Rachel wrote this letter. She believed that Rachel was in danger and uh-huh. possibly already dead at this point. Well, okay, let me ask you something real quick. Let's let's pause. Why would he want to send a letter to the prosecution? I was thinking the same thing. What does he have to gain to this? Right, right. from this, right? He already had the charges dropped. Why drag this on now? Yeah, what are you doing? Are you just trying? Maybe he's worried about a murder investigation, and he's just trying to postpone that, like, and really convince authorities that she's run off. You know, I guess just to postpone a murder investigation. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think. Is that because he hasn't been brought up on charges of murder yet? He got off on the rape, but you know, we know he kills her. So yeah, yeah. Maybe that's all he's doing. He's just trying to buy some he's time, or maybe time. he's trying to get people off his scent altogether. Yeah. That's a stupid way to do it, though. You should just fucking cut your losses and just go hide somewhere. Mm-hmm. Piece of shit. The He's same all day, the way Rachel's... in Arkansas, too, dude, from Michigan. There's right. no telling where those bodies... Anyways, that's, that's yeah. crazy to me. We would soon find out where one of them was. Yeah, true. So the same day that the prosecutor received a letter, Rachel's father receives another letter postmarked from Little Rock as well. This letter, allegedly written by Rachel, said that she and Shannon were fine and that she would call him soon. And it kept mentioning that she was with a man named Delbert, which is bizarre because we know that's not the name of the guy that picked her up. And it's almost like, you know, whoever is forcing her to write this is trying to so, get, them off, get them off their scent, you know, or like lead them off of a, to a different trail. So she did mention a man named Delbert? She kept mentioning a man named Delbert in this letter, the second letter written to Rachel's father. Maybe she never mentioned the name of the guy to her father, for real. Maybe she didn't. I find it hard I mean, to believe. She... He kept calling. He had to have, at some point, like, he's calling her father's home. I'm sure her father answered, this is the 90s. I'm sure her father answered the phone himself a few times, and he had to, you know, say, hi, this is so-and-so, can I speak to your daughter? You know, like, right. what are the odds she answered the phone every time? You know, like, he had to have known the name of the guy, at least, you know. Exactly. That, that's just, that's weird to me just this yeah. other name maybe they're just maybe this maybe marvin is thinking if i just he's just trying to convolute everything yes. for the investigation he's yes. adding more and more towns and names and yeah let's just letters. make it really difficult to know what the fuck's yeah. going on he was good at what's that crazy what's crazy is that he had her write all these letters at once before he kills her you know like then these letters are now at this point written weeks prior on the night that she was killed he forced her to write these letters. And mm-hmm. this is like a long game thing where he holds on to a few of them and then mails them later on. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. So in that letter, you know, that uh, her father had received, he uh, Shannon said that, or her, she, Rachel said that her and Shannon were fine, that she would call him soon. Of course, he does not receive a call from her. And tragically, two weeks later, on the morning of July 5th, one month after the disappearance of Rachel and baby Shannon, the decomposed body of Rachel Timmerman would be found at on Oxford Lake. Hmm. And it's so uh, creepy to think about how she was killed. It's, it's, it's horrible. Um, this lake has apparently has three feet of water and 60 to 80 feet, 80 feet of muck below that. Ugh. And Rachel had been wrapped in chains and cement blocks and uh, those had been padlocked to the chains. She'd also had duct tape put over her eyes and mouth and her hands were tied behind her back. Disturbingly, the autopsy determined that Rachel had been thrown into the lake alive. Mm. Um, so he, you know, he throws her in with these cement blocks or these uh, cinder blocks tied to her, chained to her. Right. And she basically gets taken down into this muck where she drowns. Ugh. That is... It's graphic. Sickening of a way as you can go as possible. Absolutely. It just makes it worse that it's like not even water, right? It's muck like you're just in this abyss. It just, and it gives you insight in that what a, what a shitty person Marvin is. It's like, because if you just wanted to preserve yourself, if you're just trying to get Mm -hmm. through life and why not? You just wanted to get rid of the witness. Right. You could have easily just like shot her in the back of the head when she wasn't looking. Right. And then, then freaking dumped no, her body. No, he got but, off on the, but the no, torture of it. You wanted to tie her up. You wanted to torture her. You wanted to throw her in a lake alive. Like all, all that. the while, the worst part for her probably is knowing that he's also going to kill her baby as well. Absolutely, and having no control over that in right. that situation. 
And that's probably why she went along writing the letters for him is like at threat of her child, you know, like I guarantee you, he used that against her. Like, if you don't write these letters for me, I'm going to do something horrible to your baby. Yeah. So the letters were confirmed to be her handwriting? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they were hers. So you, you have to assume that right before he killed her, that he forced her to write these letters. Yep. Yeah. Um, however, no trace of Rachel's daughter, Shannon, has ever been found. But you can only assume the worst on that. Yeah. Um, the reason that Rachel, you know, that she was found, even though she had these cinder blocks chained to her, was the the bloating of the body actually allowed the body to raise, raise up to the surface, even with the weight of those bricks. Well, so my yeah, my theory is if he did the same to the baby, um, that the baby, you know, even after bloating, as sick as this is, wouldn't have the that wouldn't have the, like the the power to to raise a cinder block or something like that with the baby's body being so small. Right. Right. <clears throat> because we would later find out that behind prison bars, he drew a map of the surrounding lake, you know, the lake where he had dumped Rachel's body, we presume, and put three X's on it. Uh, and with one of the X's below writing words saying body found, but the other two X's not saying that. So, so you have to safe to assume that he put three bodies in that lake and we can do the math on who that would be. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so authorities would theorize that whoever kidnapped Rachel and forced her to write the letters on June 3rd, um, they also, that after dumping Rachel into the lake, the killer then mailed the letters. Uh, authorities went into Marvin's residence following this and found cinder blocks on his property that matched those found tied to Rachel's body. Also, keys that matched the padlock used to secure Rachel's body were found. Wow, this guy's dumb. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> However, Marvin Gabrion had fled the area before police could arrest him. Mm. Now, another man comes up missing, believe it or not. John Weeks, the man that Marvin had commissioned. Yep, the man that Marvin had commissioned to take Rachel out on the date. His whereabouts were now at this point also unknown. Unsurprisingly, Marvin was the last person to see him alive in late June of 1997. Weeks is presumed dead. Marvin's not going to leave that dude as a loose end. Come on. No, no. Nope, he used him and threw him out like trash. Yep. And it's very possible that he killed him the same night that he killed Rachel. You know, like they went out together to that that lake. They were seen camping. Other campers had talked to them. They, like, asked if they could put their boat in a certain a certain spot near these people's campground. Um, so they were seen together with a woman that would later be determined to be Rachel mm-hmm. um, by people out camping in this area. And Jeez. it's very possible that he killed Rachel, the baby, and uh um, week, weeks John as well, weeks. all in that yeah. same night. Yeah. yeah. Weeks, uh, his girlfriend at the time had said that, you know, he'd seen um, her boyfriend hanging out with this this guy, Marvin, and that they had been talking on the phone to this girl, Rachel. She was actually getting upset at Weeks because she's like, what girl are you talking to on the phone? And he explained to her that he owed a favor to his buddy and that they, you know, they had to do something with this girl or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things tying Marvin to this. Yeah, there is. So one person he didn't get to that was a witness to all this, maybe it had to do with him being a family member. He didn't want to kill his own nephew, but Marvin's nephew, Mikey Gabrion, would ultimately lead police to a campsite that had frequently been used by his uncle where Marvin Gabrion's tent was found along with bolt cutters, chain, duct tape, a woman's hair clip, and nipples for a baby bottle. Mm. So that's kind of uh, yeah. that's kind of damning yeah. evidence, huh? Mm-hmm. You could say so. Yeah. What is this this guy that doesn't have kids? Well, what is he doing with you know a baby bottle nipples and a woman's hair clip? Yeah. Yeah. So authorities would at this point bring in the FBI to investigate this bizarre case. Um, they were able to do so because where the body where Rachel's body was found was actually a national park. So oh, this okay. would come into play later on with the death penalty because Michigan is a non death penalty state. The fact mm-hmm. that it was on federal land. That, you know, we'll get more to that later, but they right. bring in the FBI and the FBI discovers that Marvin was using the alias of a man named Robert Allen. There was a real man named Robert Allen. The real Robert Allen was a man who had vanished in 1995. Shocker. Another person close to Marvin that disappears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they would, they would come to find out that Marvin was actually living in a home that he had purchased under Robert Allen's name after assuming his identity. At the time that Rachel's body was found, he was living in this home and he was cashing the disability checks of this Robert Allen who, you know, apparently authorities believed was still alive, even though he was long dead at that point. 
Alan had been a, a mentally disabled transient who had been receiving social security when he went missing. And those checks continued to be cashed by Marvin. God, so from 1995 so to 1997, Marvin was living under this guy's name, cashing his checks in a house that, you know, was under this guy's name. Right. Um, the search for Marvin would last two months until they received a tip that he was set to receive one of those social security checks from a post office in Sherman, New York. So FBI agents covertly st staked out the location where he was arrested and left uh, as he left the post office. So he goes to pick up that disability check under Robert Allen's name yeah. and that's how he, how they get him. Finally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he would immediately be convicted of social security fraud in July of 1998 for his use of Allen's checks and sentenced to five years in federal prison. Uh, oh, so I, I'd like to say it's be, of course you steal from the government. You get, you go down right away. You know, I'm sure they set the bond a lot higher than when he violently raped a woman because oh, he yeah. stole money from the government. Yeah, you don't steal money from the government, bro. Of course. That's how they got Capone, right? Tax evasion. Yeah, they'll find you quick. You can kill all the people you want. Just don't steal money from right. the government. Kill and rape innocent people, all that stuff. But like, steal money from the government, man. You're going uh -uh. down. Or if you sell some weed, you're going down. Oh, man. Can't put up with <laughs> Especially that. Especially in certain states. Right. Yep. Jeez. So he's written many letters, this fucking scumbag, to Rachel's family over the years and has every excuse in the book for you know uh, who could have done it he you know still claims he didn't do this and blames everyone under the sun but himself um yeah, he also he had the he also had the balls to write to shannon's father tim and started talking about a nonprofit organization that he wanted to start called no more missing children and he wanted to he wanted permission to use shannon's picture for this organization and actually asked uh, rachel's father to send a picture of shannon baby shannon Wow. The baby that we believe he killed. Wow. It makes you wonder what he was really wanting to do with that picture. Was he going to get gratification out of that? What, you know, what was he going to do? And they, her father sadly did end up sending a picture just in hopes that this piece of scum would actually, you know, admit to where, what he did with the baby, where the baby's body is so they could give it some closure. Yeah. He never didn't, heard he anything. Didn't, he sent the picture and never got what he wanted out of that. Mm-hmm. And this is when the map that Marvin had drawn surfaces. He draws this map of the lake with three X's on it. Uh, the lake was Oxford Lake. One of the word, one of the you know the X's had the words underneath it, body found, and one of three. So it's safe to assume that there were three bodies in that lake. One could be um, Baby Shannon. The other uh, could be uh, the man that uh, threw the party. John Weeks. Oh, oh yeah, John. Sorry, there. Yeah, John Weeks. Couldn't have been uh, Wayne Davis's body would be found in a different lake in July of 2002. Canoeists would find Wayne Davis's body, the man who had thrown the party, in Twinwood Lake, um, in another body of water in the same national forest where Rachel's body was found. So, same national forest, also federal land, um, and oh. yeah, yep. So he could be charged with this one as well. Mm-hmm. That same year, Marvin Gabrion was tried for the murder of Rachel Timmerman. The prosecution presented testimony of multiple witnesses, including Marvin's propensity for violence and threatening behaviors, including accusations of other physical and sexual assaults. Two witnesses testified that their homes had been set on fire following altercations with him. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. This dude's volatile, man. <clears throat> Another woman described how he trained uh, trained a rifle on her and her two-year-old child as she walked to her car one day. He then climbed into his own car and followed them for several miles. Jeez. These are the kind of things that I just feel like this. The bond should have been set a lot higher in, his, uh, you know, in that initial uh, preliminary hearing for right. the rape. When you have a like, history of this over and over and over yeah, again. They know the kind of character this guy is. They know what he is. Like you can't set the bond in any level that could even be attained by his family. Right. I'm still confused as to the whole bond thing, like why it's even a thing to begin with, but that's another story. Yeah. Well, that's just more money to be made. That's why. I mean, I understand it for you know, most offenses, but like violent rape, things like that. I just don't think there should be pond. I just don't think you should be allowed to walk the streets until this is settled, you know, yeah, until you're proven innocent. Yeah. Yeah. So the disappearances of the other men surrounding the case were also admitted to, uh, or at least the, the, the jury was able to hear, you know, the, the fact that he was near these men when they went to, when they went missing. Right. And this trial would have its fair share of drama. Let's just say court TV would have loved to have had the footage 
from Marvin's <laughs> trial for Rachel's murder because of his erratic behavior. Um, the trial judge actually made the decision to deny the defendant's right to fire his counsel and defend himself in court due to his erratic behavior and frequent disruption of the court proceedings. At one point, he actually punched his defense attorney in the face in full view of the jury, and he committed 40 major infractions while uh, at the Calhoun County Jail. Jesus, why why is there any question to this? Like if you're sitting on the jury and you How see How does he this think this is going to help criminal, him? <laughs> right? You see this violent criminal punch someone in court. Like you can't right. even punch his own you, defense attorney. You can't even withhold these actions in court. Yep. <laughs> when you could be punished, it's just like that's a no-brainer to me. Like yeah, this oh, guy needs the, to be locked that's away. That's just the start. He also filed numerous bizarre motions using quote abusive and obscene language. He accused the judge of sleeping with and in impregnating 13 and 14 year old girls and called his lawyers and the judge satanic and Hitler on what grounds that's crazy <laughs> right you're just making shit up you're just like yeah I'm bad but these people are really bad they're they're satanic and Hitler that's like some shit you would just make up when you're just trying to make somebody seem bad but you don't really have anything on them you're right. like that guy's like Hitler or something this guy's insane. yeah the, the defense countered that uh uh, his temperament and actions were the results of multiple car accidents, and that he had resulted in brain uh, they had resent, resulted in brain injuries as well as a troubled childhood. The jury wasn't buying it. Marvin Gabrion was convicted, and despite being sentenced in a non-death penalty state, he was sentenced to death. And this was due to the fact that he dumped Rachel's body on uh, federal grounds, and the, you know the feds came in and they threw the death penalty at him, which spawned United States versus Gabrion. Um, it's considered a landmark case for its use of the death penalty in a non-death penalty state. Capital punishment had been abolished in Michigan since 1846, and Michigan was the first English-speaking jurisdiction to eliminate the, de- uh, the death penalty. Wow. Uh, however, federal jurisdiction allowed prosecutors to seek the death penalty in this case, and Rachel's body, having been found on federal land in Manistee Na- National Forest, allowed the prosecutors to try Marvin in federal court and seek the death penalty. Um, he would be the first person in the United States to receive the death penalty for a crime committed on in a non-death penalty state since the federal death penalty was reinstated in 1988, as well as the first person to be sentenced to death in the state of Michigan since 1937, when Anthony Tony uh a bank robber who also killed some people in, during these bank robberies, mm-hmm. uh, had been put to death in Michigan back in 1937. Oh, okay. Which he, he seemed like, I, I looked into him a bit, he would be a fun case to do as well. Yeah, why not? During the depression, man. Bank robber from the thirties. Yeah. He would he would see the the rope. He got he got hung. Oh. In Michigan. And that yeah. Wow. Nineteen thirty seven just doesn't seem old enough to be hanging people, does it? <laughs> I guess. I mean I don't know. I, I, I think I still think it's one of the better ways to to go about it, you know? No, I'm not saying Cheap, I'm just effective. saying I feel like it's it's it just seems too early or too too late yeah. <laughs> in uh right. I, I don't know. Just in civilization. It's just 19... It's like, man, he was hung in the 30s? God, not not like the 1830s? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of, it's crazy. But yeah, that would be a good case to look into. Mm-hmm. So in 2011... Uh, Marvin would appeal both of his con- both the conviction and the sentence. The appeal resulted in the conviction being upheld, but the death sentence being overturned. And we see this time and time again with the death penalty. Yep. It's so hard to actually carry it out these days, especially in a non. But then in 2013. State. Oh yeah, but then in 2013, the sentence appeal was overturned and the death penalty was reinstated. I think the fact that the feds are involved actually makes it more likely to be carried out as opposed to like the state having to do it. Yeah, I agree. And you can kind of um, relieve yourself of of consequences or of uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's the state of Michigan, you don't feel like you've went really went against yeah, yeah, your yeah, beliefs. Like it's your fault. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's not right. your fault. It's like, well, you know, the feds they had our hands tied. We had to kill them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Marvin Gabrion is currently on death row at United States Penitentiary in Terre Haute and Indiana. And still claims to be innocent, and has been has been placing blame on everyone imaginable except himself ever since. Sending letters to people and being an, a general asshat. Um, yeah. And even though right. they did find Wayne Davis's body in that adjacent lake in the same national forest, they have not charged him with the murder of Wayne Davis. And of course, John Weeks never been found. Hasn't been charged with that one right. either. And nor uh, did they charge him for Shannon's because I mean they never found baby Shannon's body so I don't don't sadly no charges for that no. one either you know it's like we know without a doubt he's killed five six people probably a lot more if you just kill this willy nilly 
as we've seen in the past, I'm sure he's responsible for more yeah. death. He could have sold the baby as well, you know, like we like the uh, like John oh, Robinson God, did not. in the Slave Master. You know, remember he killed that one girl who had mm -hmm. the baby, and then he ended up. You know, I know it was to a, to a family member. I'm sure he wasn't that brazen, yeah. but he could have he could have absolutely sold Shannon on a black market or dropped her at a fire station. Like no questions asked. Like that's the whole point. I feel like she would have turned up though if that were the case. You know? That's true, especially with DNA and whatnot now. You know, th th with DNA testing, yeah. it's kind of hard to hide anyone at all anywhere. But also in a small town, uh, uh, you know, a young girl and her baby goes missing, and then a baby is turned into the fire station like that. Would if they would have connected those dots? No, pretty I'm, quick, I no, I, even if it was like even if it was like a different uh, state that he turned the baby in. But I was about to, yeah, but I mean, you're talking a different state. He went all the way down to Arkansas, like. We know for yeah. a fact she was in Arkansas. Well, let's hope that she's still, you know, that something along those lines happened and that she's still alive yeah. somehow. But yeah. I think we all know the likelihood of what the happened. Likely, yeah, the likelihood of her still being alive is pretty slim. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. She'd have to have a whole different identity well, and everything. If this case didn't sufficiently piss you off, I don't know what will, because <laughs> um, Rachel and, and, uh, and baby Shannon... And Wayne Davis, John Weeks, even John John Weeks, they were all let down by the system by the fact that Marvin's bail was only set at seventy five k, an amount that his mother was able to come up with, and he was able to cut ties with that violent rape that he had committed and basically get rid of all the witnesses before his trial. Yep. Aside from his nephew, which you have to think his nephew wasn't going to testify against his uncle out of fear, and also. You know, it's his uncle. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can have the solace in the fact that he ultimately did get the death penalty, and hopefully he will see that before he dies. But other than that... Yeah. I believe he's 68 now, sitting on death row. Yeah, see, his time's running out pretty quick. So, that's like, yeah, and he the fact that he appealed his sentence and appealed his, de you know, his death sentence tells you he doesn't want to be killed so I, I say kill him <laughs> yeah exactly if he doesn't want to be killed then kill him if he's trying to if he's like in his cell yeah, trying to commit suicide exactly. then you know keep him alive <laughs> whatever he doesn't right. want we'll do it <laughs> right. yeah because this piece of shit well i'll tell you something you what do want for your armpits and that's oh, oh my guy you're right you're right you, you gotta want some oh my guy man you got to because Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from. From vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, and of course, we have our own scent called True Crime Pine. If you don't know where to start, that's a great place to start, guys, with Oh My Gaia. And because you're True Crime... I have that in my pits Do as you? we speak right now. Some True Crime Pine is in my pits, Absolutely. yes. I always keep a jar on hand. I, I have a jar that's opened right now that I that I cycle through with Egyptian musk and uh, what's another barbershop. I like Fireside, Egyptian yeah. Musk, Barbershop, and True Crime Pine. I usually keep, I got those four, you know, cycling between those. Uh, but be True Crime Pine is unisex too. It's it's a great yeah, scent. Most that of them is are really, really. It's not too masculine or feminine. It's just a it's just a nice uh, appealing. It really smell. is. It really is. You could do a lot with it. Um, but because you guys are True Crime guys, listeners, you can use the word Creeper for fifteen percent off your order at shop underscore oh my guy on Instagram. Or on ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, guys. And again, that's code word creeper for 15% off your order. And we also have a new advertiser today. So excited for this. We've been searching for a CBD company to work with because both of us, especially me, is I'm very reliant on CBD mm -hmm. at this point. It helps me a lot with anxiety and chronic pain and things like that. Um, so I reached out to this company hoping basically to advertise for them for product, you know, like right. not even for money, just like, can you just send me your stuff and we'll talk about you guys. And they've sent us a fantastic package that we've been using for a week now, the amazing quality products. So we're talking about, uh, tonic CBD. Um, it's true. Not all CBD products are created equal from how the hemp is grown and processed to how it's formulated and delivered into your body. Every step of that process goes into making the products that affect your ultimate experience with it. That's why tonic products really stand out. Founder Brittany Carbone created her own original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods back in 2017, and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products possible. 
Tonic, Tonic Craft cultivates their hemp on their certified organic family farm in upstate New York. That hemp travels only 30 minutes from to their state-of-the-art manufacturing and distribution facility, where it's turned into finished product and sent to you, ensuring only the highest quality vibes at every stage of the process. Tonic's farm-to-table CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. Each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded, and consistent wellness solution for your mind and body. They have a variety of blends and different products you can, uh, but so far my favorite has been the Chill Tonic, uh, which helps a ton with uh, anxiety. It has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion flower to deliver a super calming effect that is also really cool that they use black seed oil in it um, mm-hmm. in a lot of their blends as well. Yes. Black seed oil is an antioxidant powerhouse, and it's great for your immune system, but it also just scratches the surface of what superfood can really do. Um, there's a lot of stuff coming out uh, about this, you know, CBD. Uh, as a preventative measure for COVID. And I'm not going to say too much with that because I don't want to, cl- you know, make any false claims or anything like that. But you can look right. into it. There's studies that have been coming out about CBD and it, it you know, it's something that you could use regularly to help fight COVID if you get it. Especially in the tincture form, in the yes. oil form. Yes. Because mm-hmm. tincture is my favorite. It's the best bang for your buck is tincture. You yeah. Know, oh, absolutely. Get as much CBD for your buck. Absolutely. I also love the, um, what's the OG? I like that one for a start of the yeah. day. It's kind of like a- I love Grounded at night. Awaken. I use Grounded. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Makes perfect sense. Take that right before bed. And then there's there's also the vape pen as well. Right. Which is for like more immediate effects of anxiety yeah. relief. It's like it's like chill, but through the vape pen, right? Yeah. I do the tincture in the morning and at night. I do two different tinctures. One, one for, I usually do Grounded at night and chill in the morning. And then I, I hit the vape pen for, uh, periodically throughout the day if I yeah. feel a little bit anxious. Nice. Nice. Um, I love how easy it is to verify the quality of Tonic's products. There's actually a microchip looking thing uh, on the top of the packaging, which allows you to tap your phone on the top of the tube and reveal the third-party lab reports, product information, details about their farm, and even helpful blog posts to provide you with some CVD education. With values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are good for the people and good for the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code CREEPER for 20% off your order. Whoa, That's tonicvibes.com. 20%. Yep. Tonicvibes.com, code word CREEPER at checkout, 20% off. Can't beat that. No, you cannot. Go check it out, guys, especially if you're considering CBD or just want to try it. It's a great opportunity. Yep. Save some money and get some top-shelf product. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. You want to talk uh, about our Patreon page real quick? That's why we weren't, uh, you, if you're a freeloader, if you only listen on our, you know, on a normal podcast app, you know, a subscriber to our Patreon page, you didn't get an episode last week. That's because we did an exclusive episode for Patreon members only. You can access that at patreon.com slash true crime guys. Two bucks a month gets you access to that episode. All of our other premium episodes that we've done over the course of the last, what, three and a half, four years that we've had a Patreon. Yeah. We've done so many big hitters, a lot of the main uh, serial killers. If you don't see them on our our main feed, it's probably because we did them over on Patreon, and two bucks gets you access to all of those episodes. Right. And then there's more content. If you're willing to go up to the $5 tier, you can get Just the Banter, another show that we do every Friday where we just hang out, shoot the shit. We interact with our listeners and uh, Patreon members. Yep. Um, those episodes are usually an hour plus. And we just uh, released just more content. We just released episode 64 of Just the Banter. Yeah. And uh, this past Patreon exclusive was number 59. So There you go. There's 59 uh, Patreon-exclusive episodes available on Patreon right now, and that's not even counting just the banter and tons of other extra content that we so have. So well over 100 recordings that are an hour plus if you... Some of those episodes being up to three hours long. Yes. Um, <laughs> some that stick out Marathons. are the, Jim, the Jones, Jim Jones episode, the Eurons, um, you know, the East Area Rapist or yes. Golden State Killer. That episode was super long. Yes. So yeah. many of those episodes are super long and you get all that for um, $2 a month or $5 a month. Um, then you can even go up to $10 a month if you wanted to actually interact with us once a month. We sit down for a Zoom call with the $10 creepers and just hang out for half an hour with you guys. So yep, it's also that. All right. And if you're already- about our other show. Yeah, about to say, if you're already on Patreon and you've caught up everything True Crime Guys, you can check out the rest of True Crime Guys productions like Strange and Unexplained. Uh, new episodes come out every single Monday um, on the free platform as well as every Monday on the Strange Unexplained Patreon, we release Strange Shorts, where we talk about more up-to-date, more lighter, silly things that are happening uh, in the crime world or just in the world in general. 
uh, but Strange and yeah. Unexplained, wherever you listen. And we also, once a month, for our Patreon exclusive for Strange and Unexplained, we do Sandu Stories, uh, which we just released, Sandu Stories Chapter 13, on, on patreon.com slash podcast. And it was based on our Slave Master episode. If you guys have listened to the Slave Master episode here on True Crime Guys, John Edward Robinson, this was a a uh, true crime what if story, if you will, an alternate an alternate ending to that yes. one, which is much more fun. <laughs> exactly, much more fun, much more fun. The killer kind of gets what they deserve, um, and that's John ends up in a garage with me in a drill, <laughs> and it's it's a good time. <laughs> it gets pretty crazy. It gets pretty crazy. Yeah. And you, you guys get to see uh, some of our other talents here at True Crime Guys. Some of the other things that we like to dive into and we get to act and play parts. And it's a lot It's a lot of fun for us. We have outside voices. Lauren's wife does voices occasionally. Yeah, she's cutting her teeth with some voice acting. Man, she's, she's killing quite it, quite talented at it. She is. Yeah. She's a natural. She's an absolute natural. So a lot to be discovered over on Strange and Unexplained, guys, if you're all caught up on True Crime Guys Productions. Yep. All right. Anything else? All right. Does that about do it? I think that's it, man. All right. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down. Let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. You hush your mouth, boy.